0: Today on the show we decide when to cling to tradition and when to adapt in order to survive. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Connor. And I'm Kevin. And it's a red-letter day. I'm so excited that we're finally cracking into a new game today. I'm psyched about this one. Uh, It's probably my game of the year of 2020. Probably my favorite game I played that year. It's uh, none other than Ghost of Tsushima. And I understand that you're still playing through it, Kevin, so how are you finding it so far?
1: I love this game. I think it's one of the most beautiful games I think I've ever played. I think it's one of the best acted games I've played. The acting is amazing. Um, Yeah, The acting's amazing. I know we were just talking about it, but the acting is really, really good. Mm. Uh, I think everything from even the art like style in the menu when you're looking at like pieces of lore that are you know my Assassin's Creed history you know <laughs> kind of lesson stuff yeah. that stuff the art alone looks great like everything about this game is beautiful uh, and so I'm having a blast playing it I love it
0: yeah I I, I actually still pick it up every now and then I have like, like a new game plus that I'm working on and uh, there's still plenty to get out of it, and yeah, it's such a well-designed open world. I, that's what really struck me, is like I, I had some of that open world game fatigue that a lot of people talk about, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. these games that are huge, and there's so much to do, but with Ghost of Tsushima, it's like, everything felt so organic, and living and breathing, and like the exploration factor was just on point for me, but uh, you know what we're going to get into today on this episode is... is Some one of the main themes that I took away from the game, having completed it, is how you know not only was it just a really fun, really well done action game and open world action game, but it made us take a really hard look at the lines between doing what's best, you know, fulfilling your duty and doing what it takes to survive. This journey that we go on with the main character Jin Sakai, it really stuck with me. Just the choices he had to make, the sacrifices he had to make, and how his situation and how he chose to deal with the situation clashed with how he was brought up like there were a lot of just you know crisscrossing uh themes with that that i i really enjoyed
1: yeah when i uh first started it they kind of i realized that's what they were gonna hit home like right away within the first couple missions he even mentions he's like what like a thief like that was like the Uh you know the theme of the first couple missions and I, uh, like you said, with the open worldness, I normally do get burnt out on that. Like Skyrim burnt me out for a Mm -hmm. while because I was just trying to do everything. Um, But this game really, even in the side quests, they kind of talk about that stuff, like how first it's what it's like to be a samurai, but also then like what does it take to actually survive? And sometimes what you have to do may be different than what you want to do. and. Those themes, it really, everything like the side quests, all of it, like it encompasses it very well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about, you know, the samurai code and Jin's relationship with the code and kind of his expectations and all the different pressures that weigh on him throughout the game, as well as his, you know, ongoing decision to bend the ethical guidelines that he's been raised with. It's a subtle conflict and, you know, it it really builds the backbone of this game that. We're gonna dive into. But before we get into that, some quick housekeeping, just want to remind everyone out there that we love to hear from our listeners. So please don't be shy about emailing us at podcast at loreparty.com with your stray thoughts, your episode ideas, anything you'd like us to know. And uh, you can also catch us on Twitch. We you know stream on Twitch every now and then. Be sure to follow us at twitch.tv slash lore underscore party. And of course you can always connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. So why we're talking about this, what we want to get at today is, you know, for me, I really just wanted to unpack how Jin Sakai's personal story shows us that good intentions aren't everything. You know, even though he's setting aside his own inner conflicts to defend his home and his people, he always has to face the consequences of breaking the laws of his land and, you know, the the tenants that he was brought up with. There are always consequences to those decisions and he's he he faces pushback from straying off the beaten path that he that was set in front of him but he does it anyway because it's like you know what else is there other than doing what it takes to survive and protect my people it's it's this like it's almost like a greek tragedy in the sense of like you know i i have to do this but it's going to cost me it's this really interesting journey that i i just wanted to dive deeper into in terms of What's going on with Jin himself, and you know what he has to give up and what that costs him?
1: Yeah, and for me, I really want to talk about this because I think looking at war and not just you know tournaments and duels and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I think that also plays an effect. And seeing such disaster and torture, uh, I think it kind of makes him question a lot of things about what should be done rather than what. Am I allowed to do? Um, Right. And so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different aspects of his journey that affect how he thinks about this. Yeah. And I think because he's the one experiencing them as well, it's going to alter the conversation he has with other people who have not experienced those things. And they just, you know, don't understand it or they're stuck in their ways or tradition or blah, blah, blah. Like, I think his specific circumstances and journey... Uh, that's that's the biggest thing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I love this uh, interplay of you know how we win matters. Winning isn't the only thing, but it, contrasting to that, you have this opposing side that says you know what value is this code if we're not around to live by it? <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. how is it a betrayal to protect it and you know stay alive to fight another day? It's so yeah. We'll we'll get into all of that and more, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So stick around and we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, we're going to start today's episode with a quick intro into who Jin Sakai really is and why he fights this battle that he fights in the game. So, we're introduced to Jin, uh, you know, who is a young nobleman and a dedicated warrior. He's, you know, a samurai from the proud and storied Sakai clan, and he lives on the island of Tsushima, which is a medium-sized island off to the, I think, northwest of Japan's mainland are we gonna check the geography on that? I'm pretty
1: sure it's southeast.
0: <laughs> southeast, sorry, <laughs> but uh, it's you know, or no, southwest, 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 southwest. You're right. Sushima is where the, the basically the entire game takes place, as the name implies. He lost his both his parents at a relatively young age, so you know Jin was taken in by his uncle, who uh, a man named Lord Shimura who is the Jito, or the governor, basically, of the island of Tsushima. So, you know, right from right out of the gate, Jin has kind of a life path in front of him. As a samurai, there are obviously certain expectations on him. And uh, he was raised, I guess you could say, in a privileged upbringing, but... oh
1: totally he's a lord like or he lives with the lords like yeah you know yeah that's a privilege
0: yeah you could argue though it's a bit of a gilded cage you know what i mean where it's like it's a nice cage but he's still stuck in kind of a a railroaded sort of way of life i guess definitely because he was brought up by his father and his uncle after his father by both of these men in his life to be the ideal samurai he was really ingrained with all of these expectations like you know we are clan sakai you know we we do not run from the yeah. fight and all that stuff so he has all these duties that you know these these duties as a warrior that he takes very seriously
1: yeah we see a lot of flashbacks um mm-hmm. where his uncle takes care of him or you know where they're going to look for a bear or something like that and yeah. every little baby lesson that he learns from his uncle and how it applies to being a samurai, and mm. all, all these ideals that he has to live by, and and when you go around, you know, doing side quest stuff and uh, finding like hot springs and stuff like that, he thinks about those things, and yeah. he it, it like he's an adult now, so he's still thinking about those lessons as an adult, and so like after Jin even reaches adulthood, his home now is under attack, mm-hmm. so the Mongol invaders show up and assault uh, Sushima and wipe out all of the samurai defenders at Komodo Beach. Like, it, all of them are gone. Yeah, uh, He witnesses this firsthand. He's on his horse. He gets the shit kicked out of him, <laughs> uh, like, really badly.
0: Barely survives, yeah.
1: Yeah, barely survives. It's a really great sequence, the way they handled it. it was It was really, really good. And he ends up as one of the sole survivors. You know, his uncle is captured, and so he's like, okay, I'm going to go save my uncle. Mm-hmm. And he does this... ...dual-style uh, fight with the Mongol leaders... ...and yeah. again gets his shit right. <laughs> right. And so,
0: like, it yeah. just
1: keeps getting worse. Uh, the samurai way has now failed him. I, I guess you'd say way of fighting... ...or code of honor fighting has failed him twice. Um, right. And he knows, you know, now the stakes... ...they couldn't be higher. Yeah. Um, And if he doesn't oppose these Mongols... ...by any means necessary... Mm -hmm. There might not be anyone left to protect in general, not just the people of Tsushima, but just in general, the whole, you know, of Japan may get um, invaded and they're kind of like the first line of defense.
0: Right. Yeah. He quickly realizes that it's down to me. Failure is not an option. And also he starts to realize, like you pointed out. That the normal way of like waging war as a samurai might not be enough. He has to go beyond that, go around it. Uh, yep. You know, and we see like an early example of you know you mentioned the battle at Komeda Beach, which is where like most of the samurai are wiped out. That's the first major engagement between the samurai and the Mongols. Before that battle even truly begins, the Mongols demonstrate early on that they know exactly how to use samurai customs against them. Uh, a man named Lord Adachi, who is a uh, samurai nobleman, regarded as one of the greatest swordsmen on Tsushima. He's kind of like the, the the best fighter Shimura and, and and Jin have at their disposal. Lord Adachi rides forward to challenge the best among the Mongols to single combat. That's kind of like yep. how they open the battle. Like, you know, st- send me your best and I will duel them. He is, <laughs> you think that's going to be, you know, a, a a fair fight one-on-one, but no. Lord Adachi is unceremoniously doused in oil and then set ablaze by Koten Khan. Just, just completely, like, catches him off guard. He doesn't expect that at all, so he just burns to death. You know, the samurai have lost their, possibly their strongest warrior, and also it's a huge morale victory for the Mongols. They've just, they've immolated one of the best of the samurai <laughs> oh, have to offer. It's, it's fucking crazy. So, like, you really quickly learn early on that, uh, yeah, the Mongols don't fight fair, so maybe we shouldn't either is kind of what Jin starts to realize. But that's not like an easy decision for him. He struggles with that big time. Definitely. Yeah. Um I think the whole dishonorable
1: kill thing. Yeah. It freaks them out. Yeah. Uh, I mean if you if you you, you see all of them just kind of like Sitting on their horses, and they're like, "What the hell? Like, yeah,
0: this isn't supposed to happen." Like, what? You can see it on their faces. They're like, that's that's not right, man. You can't do that. It's, they're just disgusted yeah. and appalled by it. So when
1: now, when we get to Jin, like running around doing stuff, when he like when he gets his first dishonorable kill, yeah, you know, he cuts that man's throat and everything. Mm. He is just. When you say the guilt, I mean, it's really, really bad. It hits him. Um, It hits him. Because the whole thing is he just keeps thinking, like, this is not what my uncle would want. My take on that is, bro, I don't think your uncle would want you to die. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's just me, but I don't know. He hears his uncle's, you know, voice of disapproval, but, you know, okay. Uh, He feels the disapproval. But despite all these, you know, misgivings, these new tactics prove pretty effective. That's right. Uh, he begins to kind of really freak out and strike fear in, like, the hearts of these Mongol invaders. Yeah. He And, you know, he even starts turning their weapons against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, like, using black powder and other tools to just even the odds, you know. And by combining his, I'd say, samurai training with these improvised weapons and tactics... He quickly gains a reputation, and not just with the Mongols, but with those on the island that are, you know, yeah, from the island. The natives, and yeah. they start calling him the Ghost. Right. And I think you know it's like this fearless Avenger, uh, The Mongols they can't seem to slay him. They can't <laughs> find him. You know, right. when, they, when they when they do in uh, go back to Castle uh, Canada, they say, "Oh, like a thief," and he's like. Or a ghost. Like, he doesn't say, what's-her-name says it, but it's really, really cool, like, to nail that in there, be like, hey, man, no, 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 not like a thief, like a ghost. Like, you're just, you're a different kind of samurai, man. Like, it's changing. Like, I just, I thought that was really cool, the way they handled that.
0: It it is awesome how this kind of one-man war that Jin starts to wage against the invaders, uh, which I say one-man war, but that's a misnomer because, like you mentioned, there's a kind of a Companion and Jin starts to slowly gather a group of allies yeah. who help him in this resistance campaign. Uh, but one of them is a, a thief named Yuna. She's you know this plucky kind of survivor who just does what she has to, and she's you know lived a life of crime mostly. <laughs> and but she also oh, saved yeah. well, kind of, yeah. She's she's lived on the outskirts of uh civilization on Tsushima, I guess, most of her life, but she also. Uh, saved Jin's life after the Battle of Komeda Beach. Like he owes her his life, and early on, she's the one who sort of encouraged him. You know, just, you know, you're gonna have to fight dirty if you want to survive and do and save your uncle and save our island. Like underhanded methods might be what's necessary to you know fight the Mongols on their terms. Uh, because yeah, like like you mentioned, you know, becoming a folk hero, becoming this this mythological figure, the ghost. Jin realizes, like, you know, I can't win this war as a single solitary samurai, but as a ghost, as uh someone who's more than a man, someone who's like, you know, mythological almost, maybe I have a chance. So he's uh, yeah, he's starting to effectively fight back. And
1: at first he he doesn't like that at first, though. No, he like, doesn't still, yeah. he still is like annoyed at her for saying those things and starting this legend.
0: Yeah. He doesn't yeah, he doesn't embrace it at all at first. Yeah,
1: he doesn't at first, but and she she even says, like, it's not even, like, dirty fighting for her. She's like, this is just fighting. Like, this is just yeah. how, like, it's survival. Like, that's yeah. what it is.
0: Like, you were, you were a samurai your whole life, but now you're down in the dirt with the rest of us. Is kind of Yuna's yeah. perspective. That's pretty cool.
1: And I think that's really one of the first shocks to his system about how he is privileged, like you said. Yeah. Like, he is a samurai. So, like, the way he fights... And the way he was taught to fight mm-hmm. are of a specific way. And obviously, there's other ways out there. But then he kind of looks at who she is and, like, your upbringing. Like, you did not get the privilege of being a samurai. You don't get the privilege of having that basically given to you. And you have to figure out, you know, your own way. And, and that's why when they talk about, like, oh, that's how you're going to fight. It's, I don't know. I, I thought about it. And I thought, you know, this is... What else is she gonna do? How yeah. else would she know? Is yeah. it actually dishonorable, or is that just like—is
0: that just what he's been told to believe?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. Like in the early lessons that we see flashbacks of when Shimura's training and uh, raising Jin to be a upstanding, ideal samurai, the the lessons are like when you take a man's life, you look him in the eye, you you fight fairly, you know, face to face square terms like you don't backstab people you don't sneak around that's like those are the coward's way of fighting so like that's 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 what jin has been hearing his entire life and so he doesn't just drop all of that training and that uh rigidity in his lifestyle at on a whim you know it's it's a struggle for him and, and it kind of he he works with it throughout the entire game but he, at the same time he's learning that stubborn adherence to tradition is a noose, and it's the noose that the Mongols will hang the samurai with. That's what he's realizing. Like, we cannot be so stubborn. We cannot refuse to change, because refusing to change is death. So it's, as much as he, like he said, as much as he dislikes this growing legend of the ghost, as much as he doesn't want to embrace it, uh, the approach does work. He uh, starts striking fear into the Mongols from the shadows, and even Khotun Khan himself, the leader of the Mongol army, is starting to get concerned. Like, he's starting to hear rumors yeah. among his soldiers. Like, hey, there's this, uh, there's this guy who's uh, just beheading all of our guys. Like, you know, no one seems to be able to kill him. He's everywhere at once. And he, I think he knows off the bat, like, oh, this, is, this has to be Jin. This has to be the last samurai, Sakai. Yeah. And um, Khan actually taunts Lord Shimura with that. He kind of goes to him and says, your nephew mm-hmm. uh, is starting to make a name for himself with some dishonorable tactics and and you know you learn clearly that Shimura obviously he does not approve like he he kind of yeah. refuses to believe it at first like no no Jin wouldn't do that and so y- you you kind of see the beginnings of conflict there like you know Jin's doing what he has to to save his uncle but his uncle doesn't want to be saved that way <laughs> it's like yeah. he he thinks like oh winning the war against the mongols isn't the only thing that matters how you win the way you win is also important to lord shimura and that will become kind of a a greater conflict later on
1: what's funny too though is he seems to be the only one complaining about it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else, everybody else is like, "Oh my god, you saved me! I'm not dead! Thank yeah. you!" Like they're like, "Oh cool! You mean you threw that bomb at this guy and <laughs> killed him, and I you didn't have to risk yourself and maybe yeah. me? Oh cool! Great! I'm alive! Great!
0: No complaints here." Yeah, all the all the villagers are like, "That was sick, dude! How'd you do? How'd you do that? I've never seen anyone fight like that. That's cool." So yeah, it's like really just the upper crust of. Of, you know, the noble class seems to have a problem with this way of fighting the Mongols. The people that Jin is actually fighting for, they, they're all for it. They're like, hey, do yeah, man, stab them in the back when they, when they don't see you coming. That's cool. They, they've earned it. <laughs> they've been yeah. burning our villages. And yeah, like, cool, go for it. So that's, that's a good point. That's, I didn't think of that.
1: Okay, so before we start really getting to the nitty gritty of this uh, conflict between noblemen, we're going to take a quick break. All right, now we're back, and we're going to talk about what happens after Jin saves his uncle, Mm -hmm. because a lot more happens after that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, a lot more. (laughs) But wait, there's more. Uh, There are
1: going to be a lot of spoilers here, just heavy, heavy spoilers. Yeah. I should know. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Probably should have mentioned from the beginning, we will be getting into sort of ending spoilers for the Ghost of Tsushima, so... If you haven't finished the game, now would be a good time to maybe pause and come back later. Kevin if you want to just, you know, turn your mic off and <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys later. I'll take I'll take it from here. I'll just be a solo host <laughs> the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, I do feel bad like you you know what happens, I guess. Oh, I definitely know. The, so I
1: know it's good. It's good. It's all good.
0: We'll discuss, you know, what happens at the end of the game. Uh, I still I hope you still, you know, keep playing through it and experience it firsthand though it's definitely worth it. But we we do start to see kind of uh, the beginning of the end here when Jin rescues Lord Shimura from captivity. And the goal there is, you know, once I free my uncle, he we can both start working together to rally an army to, you know, you know, fight back against the Mongols on level ground. You know, like you know, take this thing to the next level, basically. You uh, know, around this time, Shimura plans on sending a message to the mainland of Japan, uh, asking the shogun for his, for assistance. So it's kind of like we're going to get reinforcements. We're going to, you know, kick the Mongols off of Tsushima, and things are going to be great again. Like basically, we have this foreshadowing of the rule of law will slowly start returning to sushima and
1: it'll start trickling down you mean <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah what but the the it doesn't work what oh. oh no really oh man uh, but the kicker here is that that basically means jin is no longer acting without oversight you know like his uncle's back on the board uh the shogun is going to start having influence again so Rule of law will be a thing again. Yeah. That's going to come back to be a problem.
1: Yeah, it's going to bite him in the butt. Basically, what happens is during the battle to retake Castle Shimura, Jin warns his uncle of a Mongol trap. Now, obviously, Mm -hmm. he knows a lot more about their technology and their warfare and stuff because while his uncle was, you know... A prisoner. He's been doing yeah. stuff. He know he was he was taking down you know uh, small bases and stuff. And he he yeah. knows what's
0: going on. He's been doing some up close and personal studying. <laughs> Ex-
1: exactly. He yeah. he's re- I mean, you want to talk about like art of war stuff? Like he's really been paying attention. Yeah. Uh, clearly, because he's been doing what they do. But Shimura orders his soldiers ahead anyway, because mm-hmm. because he's you know we're a samurai. We're gonna do this th- this way. Yeah. And then it leads to. Just devastating samurai losses. Uh, yet again, the beach, again. It's a repeat um, of, yeah, coming to beach, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And it's also during this battle that uh, Shimura witnesses firsthand. Jin's troubling new uh, <laughs> terror-based tactics in action, Yeah, say.
0: This part was sick. Really quick, I just want to say, like, Jin does like kind of show firsthand what the ghost can do. And he just jumps behind a Mongol commander and just slices his head off in front of a crowd of Mongol soldiers and just scares the shit out of all of them. And so it's like this, yeah, this fear tactic that he employs. But Shimmer sees it, and he's like, "Jin, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, what the fuck? He's like man? the <laughs> fuck was that? <laughs> what, in the, what, what, what did you just do? Where'd you learn it? Wh- 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 who's who's been teaching you this?
1: <laughs> who's God. been teaching you how to cut heads off? Not like me. Come from on, behind.
0: <laughs> <it>? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> they get into a nice big old heated argument. Uh-huh. Family drama.
0: Yeah." Yeah, uh, Shimura basically takes the position that Jin must fight as a samurai with honor. That's the only way a meaningful victory can be achieved. He basically just keeps making the point, like, you know, Jin, honor matters. You know, we have to fight without sacrificing our honor. While Jin's response to that is honor died on the beach. You know, that's that he's insistent that, like, everything changed after Komoda. You know, it, yeah. it it had to change after Komodo. Like, the situation demanded that it that we change. So there's just this real butting of heads that you see, this kind of, like, immovable object, unstoppable force kind of... Sh- yeah. Shimura has centuries of tradition and history behind him, but Jin has days, maybe weeks, of lived experience on behind on his side. You know, like, yeah. I've been out there. I've seen it. I know what it takes to beat these guys. So it's... It's a heated, yeah, like you said, a heated debate, and uh, there's quite a lot of emotion in it too. You know, This is basically a father and son thing happening because one thing that I'll note that I didn't bring up earlier but it's important to know is that Shimura had been planning on adopting Jin officially after, you know, when things calm down. He, he's been saying to Jin, like, you know, when the Shogun sends his reinforcements and when we win again, when we beat the Mongols, I plan on officially adopting you. So you'll be the heir to the GTO basically. And so this is basically a father son relationship. Uh, you know, the ruler and his heir having this, this existential argument is, uh, it's powerful for both of them. It's painful for both of them.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the, you said the life experience thing. That's really what it is though. Like yeah. he has the experience of fighting these people head on, seeing what they can do, understanding what they use not yeah. just the tactics but okay what is this this is a bomb what is this this is you know these specific knives like he just yeah. has all this stuff now that he understands how they work i mean i personally i think when it comes to war he did a really good job of trying to learn about your enemy yeah and yeah. adapt and understand their tactics i mean he uses their tactics also to understand their tactics and there's a lot of That goes into war I am not in the military I am not going to just talk about I know what's going on in the military all the time but this guy clearly wants to understand his enemy he wants to do what he can do to win and so to end the battle decisively without unnecessarily risking the lives of even more samurai Mm -hmm. Jin takes it upon himself to infiltrate the castle and then he poisons the (laughs) Mongol occupiers right so he is successful because you know (laughs) Come on, and the castle is obviously you know it's recaptured, Mm -hmm. but as a result of his brutal and dishonorable methods, Shimura has Jin detained and stripped of his title. Yeah. So clearly, winning the battle wasn't enough. You know. Nope. It's pretty. I I not. I don't approve of this situation. Uh, this this decision is bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was. It was really. Yeah. This is crazy. Like. I was mad at Shimura at this point because it's like, yeah, you got us results. You won the battle for us, but you broke the rules doing so. It's like you resorted to the methods of a thief. You were a, you know, a backstabber. You were a sneak and poison is a coward's weapon, yada, yada, yada. It's, it's he's a broken record at this point. Shimura's. yeah, just, just, you know, but the thing is though, you can tell it's, it's agonizing for Shimura to do this to his nephew. He loves yeah. Jin like a son. He's like a son to him, so it's obviously not something he takes joy in. But he, like we've like we've established, he's kind of a, a slave to tradition. And, you know, the rule of law is ult is ultimate for him. It's absolute for him. So, yeah, Jin is uh, locked up. You know, he's uh, he's sitting in a cell or sitting in like a locked room while. Uh, Shimura is clinging to tradition and doing this song and dance, this kangaroo court bullshit at his own expense, really, because while he's doing this, he's taking like the best weapon he has against the Mongols away. And while mm-hmm. that's happening, the Kotan Khan and his best soldiers are planning to preparing to invade the mainland. Like you're letting the bad guy get away with his ultimate plan because you're hung up on how your nephew won this battle for you it's it's ridiculous but well
1: but if you look at this situation though too like if Mm. something happened where he couldn't get samurai right like he had to create an army of farmers and fishermen and stuff like just regular everyday people and they went into battle and they did those things there's two things about this first thing is i don't think he would yell at them and say you were being dishonorable because they don't know how to fight. They don't follow the code. And that mm. is why I think Jin is important in this aspect because he knows the codes. He knows the traditions. Yeah. He knows those things. Therefore, he is obligated to follow them. And I think that's right. what's the biggest thing about this whole situation is you know these things. You're trained to do these things. You you know took up oaths to do these things. Like if it was just everyday Joe Schmo. Yeah, I would be whatever. I would be like, yeah, that's pretty messed up. But you know what? You did it. Good job, kiddo. But you, you're supposed to be a specific way when you fight. You are not supposed to deviate. And I think that's what is yeah. the biggest thing here. That's that's There's an expectations that are set.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting point because it's like saying to Jin like you should know better. <laughs> it's almost like a parent being so disappointed in their kid because like oh I know you know this. You you should you know better. You you know that this is not right. So it's extreme disappointment that Shimura is feeling here. And it's crazy because like as much as Jin feels like he has to fight on whatever terms necessary and do whatever is called for to to Protect his people. As strongly as Jin feels about that, Shimura feels just as strongly, if not even stronger, about maintaining the code is the most important thing. So that's kind of like how their relationship starts to break under the pressures of this war with the Mongols. But luckily for Jin, he manages to escape his uh, confinement and he pursues Khotun Khan into the north, like the the farthest northern province of Tsushima or sorry prefecture is what they call it and so he kind of goes into the mountains where Koten Khan has retreated and he it, with this kind of exodus from his uncle's uh, uh, I guess circle of trust it's clear that there's no going back you know Jin is a renegade now he's basically wanted by his uncle and the shogun he's he's an outlaw basically is he, he
1: technically a ronin
0: kind of yeah if like he he, he no he no longer serves you know, Lord Shimura as his master, it's kind of like he's a ronin now. So you know how we talked about earlier, Jin did not want to embrace the title and this mythology of the ghost, but now it's like he has nothing left. He's not really Jin Sakai anymore. He's not the samurai lord that he once was. He's now just yeah. the ghost. He's yeah. this lone warrior on his own. And uh, you know his conflict with his uncle, basically, has cost him his entire way of life. Oh, yeah. But even with that, he resolves to continue the fight. He just, you know, he, he, he sees no other option but to keep going because for him, protecting Tsushima is worth any cost, even his own title, inheritance, whatever. Doesn't matter.
1: But now, see, here's the thing. There's a bit of a blowback yeah. from Jin use, uh, using poisoned against the Mongols. Right. Because just like he learned from them, they're learning from him. Yeah. The invaders, these Mongols, have now learned to use the same poison and this time they plan to unleash it against the entire mainland of Japan Mm. so here we see another example of Jin's unorthodox guerrilla war having severe consequences Um, and another layer of urgency is now introduced to his whole crusade thing and this whole this whole situation now gets even worse yeah if he doesn't stop Kotun Khan innocent civilians will suffer and some are gonna blame him
0: it will be partially Uh, his fault yeah (laughs)
1: yeah it's gonna now it's now it's kind of become well you have endangered more people by doing what you've done and and being this way rather than saving
0: right yeah like not only has he basically been disowned by his uncle and you know stripped of his title and all the privileges that come with being a samurai, he's also, yeah, like you said, put innocent people in the crosshairs, so to speak, by almost like, uh, he didn't hand the poison to the Mongols, obviously, but they did learn from him. Like you said, like, there's a lot of learning from each other going on, <laughs> and uh, to, to the detriment of the people of Japan, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's like, it's getting serious, the stakes are getting really high now. But that's but war. That's it, literally war. That's what it is. It's escalation. Like just things just yeah. keep stepping up and getting more serious and getting more deadly. Yep. Yeah, you know. Luckily, Jin manages to catch up with Katen Khan and uh, you know end his plans to conquer Japan. And you know he stops this whole invasion of the mainland and poisoning plot. That's 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 good. That's that's what he's been working towards this this entire time. You know, facing down the Khan and ending his life in a duel, which is a very climactic part of the game. I had. I felt immense satisfaction at that point. So it was a high note, but then right after, there's an abysmal low note. Because after that, after winning his fight against Kotenkan and saving Japan, basically, he then must face down the only family he has left. Because Lord Shimura has been ordered by the Shogun to bring the rogue, disgraced Lord Sakai to justice. He's it's been a hunted I know I'm a protest I'm a protest I'm (laughs) gonna go
1: out that shogun's house I'm gonna start protesting
0: free free Jin free my man bullshit oh my god it's I I know it sucks because yeah this like we've been alluding to this conflict this entire time of like you know these opposing ideologies that Jin and his uncle have they've come to their natural conclusion they've come to a head they've ended they've terminated I guess is a good word at this final point where Shimura and Jin have to face each other down, draw steel, and it's a fight to the death, basically. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor duel. And, God, that, this was a hard part to play through, and I'm, I'm excited for you to play through it yourself, because I know it's just, it, you oh, have yeah. to, li- hearing about it's one thing, living through it's another. Um, and there's this intense duel, and at the end, Jin has the choice to either grant his uncle a warrior's death, or spare him. And either way, he ends this war with hardly anything left of his form of his former life. So a, a point I want to drive home is that like Jin's done what's been not expected of him, but what he expects of himself is to do whatever it takes and adapt to do what what's necessary to save his home. But that's cost him everything. It's cost him his, like we said, title, inheritance, uh, privilege, really, and also his family, the only family he had left. So it's this constant give and take of painfully adapting to the circumstances, but still paying a price for it. You know, he's achieved victory, but his methods have cost him dearly.
1: I mean, you can also look at it like coaching Khan one in the end, because mm. eventually it's like, it's not just about the invasion and all that. Eventually he's like, starts to take everything somewhat personal. Uh, yeah. He does not <laughs> like these guys. And so I think, he kind of wins in the end because he ruins both their lives.
0: I've, that's a really good point because Khan's kind of uh, entire approach to invading Tsushima has been the value of knowledge and mm-hmm. learning your enemy. We've, we've, had, we've alluded to that as well as like learning from your enemy and using the knowledge of your enemy to defeat them. Like, you know, Sun Tzu said in the uh, yep. timeless art of war, if you know yourself as well as you know your enemy... Something like that. Something along those lines. You have you need not fear a hundred battles. Something along those lines. And you know, early on at the at the in the opening cutscene basically, or when, when Kotin Khan first talks with Lord Shimura, he explains like, you know, you prepared for this day by training constantly, by, you know, learning the sword and yada yada. I prepared for this day by learning your language. I learned your traditions. I learned you know, I learned you as well as I know myself. And that's how Koten Khan was so successful in his campaign. Like, that's how he conquered Tsushima so easily, really. He steamrolled the whole island, basically, because he knew the samurai inside and out. And I I think that's a really good point you've made, that by forcing Jin to adopt the Khan's tactics a little bit, you could argue Koten sort of left his mark on Japan. Like, he... Earned he he carved his place in history by you know impacting Jin so deeply and fracturing this relationship between Jin and his uncle. Like he he's made an impression. That's that's a victory in and of itself, even though he died and his invasion was thwarted. He kinda won in a, in some way at least.
1: Yeah. I, I also yeah. the word samurai means to serve, right? Right, right. So now what did Jin actually serve? He served The mainland not just like the country but he served everyone because he actually was the reason they won he did what he had to do to serve the whole population and save everybody and also the little side quests are really fun guys so like i played all of them before (laughs) i even finished act one i went all (laughs) out and it was so much fun just helping people like that's that's one of those things where I just walked around and helped people and everybody was so grateful and they were so, like, happy that I, they, you know, found me and I found them and it w- it really felt like I was doing good in the world, if that makes sense. So, yeah, when I think of really, it really ingrained in me. I recommend when you get this game, immerse yourself as much as possible. It really, really made me feel great to do the things I was doing to save people. Be- especially too, because, like, you are the only one who can do that. Like, there is nobody, and so it it, it was great. I had a blast just becoming, you know, a savior and and helping people. Like, little little things, too. It was like, you know, oh, go get this medicine for this person. Like, it's a fetch quest. Like, it's not even, like, anything crazy. But the way it was scripted as well, I would say, the voice acting and all that, but the way it was made was to ingrain in you that you are a samurai to help people.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing point. I, I feel the same way. The fact that Jin, you know, sacrificed so much to, in order to fight effectively and defend his people effectively, that it, it cost him everything. And all he has left is what he began with, that devotion to his people and his warrior spirit. And that's all he has left, really.
1: But no, I would disagree with that because he has, he has the people. And I don't think the, the thing oh, is sure, the yeah. people are never going to forget. Right. They are always... That's the whole point of the legend. They are always going to remember the ghost of Tsushima who saved them. Right. You know what that's, I mean?
0: That's fair. That's fair. So yeah, he's, he's lost the respect of you know, fellow samurai. He's lost the respect of the other members of the ruling class, I guess. But he's gained the undying admiration and gratitude of the people he set out to defend in the first place. So like, he certainly... Like, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to have a final thought on that. But I think... To, to, to wrap up our main themes here, I think the fact that serving the people the way they needed to be served at the time cost Jin everything, basically his his entire way of life. But like you said, being a samurai means to serve. So I guess what I'm going to argue is that Jin did not betray the samurai code. Rather, the code kind of betrayed him. I agree. It no longer served its purpose. It It, it did not. It. Could not adapt, therefore, it had to die basically just by the rules of the jungle, really. So, that's that's kind of where it leaves me at least at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole point, too, if you look at like nobility and the privileged, eat the rich, you know, uh, the whole thing (laughs) with to serve because a samurai doesn't necessarily serve the people, they serve a lord, and the lord could be a dick, like, the lord could be an asshole. But you still have to do what this jerk says. <laughs> and that's the thing is, I think yeah. he, is, he is a samurai for the people. And I think that's what's a big thing here is, yeah. you know, at first the whole point is, like, he's supposed to save his uncle. Like, oh, as soon as he saves him, he doesn't even turn behind him to make sure no behind him. He instantly starts, like, getting on the ground and says, like, oh, I, I serve you, my lord. Like, and I'm like, bro, what the turn fucking around, man. What if somebody walks in? Like, <laughs> it's, it's that devotion To the noble, the the nobility of the whole thing, like, you know, the shogun and fuck that noise, man. Yeah. He serves the people. And I think that's what made him different. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think, you know, changing his ways or anything like that was really like a a screw you to the code. I don't, obviously that wasn't his intention. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the whole point was like, I'm here to serve the people. And I think yeah. that mindset and change, especially when he's walking around these towns that are destroyed, seeing dead bodies, seeing people get tortured, seeing people dying. I think the the code itself morphed within him and and became where it's like, I also serve these people. Like, what am I just going to let these terrible things happen to these people? No, I'm going to try to save these people. And right. I think that is what is the huge distinction of the code evolving within him rather than staying stagnant.
0: Yeah, yeah. To wrap up with kind of my final thoughts, I I, I, that's, I think that's really well put. I do think that Jin held on to the code so rigidly at the beginning of the game because it gave him direction. It, it was a guiding light in his life, and it was also kind of an artifact of his of his upbringing. It, it's what he had to hold on to after his parents died, and you know this. Formative relationship with Lord Shimura that you know really defined him as a person that's why he clings to it so so dearly at the beginning, but he also loves his people so much that he's willing to color outside the lines, so to speak, get his hands dirty, and do what he has to because like you said, yeah I think more than serving a master, he serves the people he's a samurai for the people so you know, I think this this isn't even something I thought of when I was you know, when we were formulating this episode, but now that we're at the end of it, I do have this new thought of, you know, this commentary that this game co- sort of has, maybe intentionally, maybe not intentionally, but this commentary on hierarchies and, you know, where does a ruling class get you if it doesn't help you in your time of need? You know, you have this there there is this very rigid hierarchy in in the society that Ghost of Tsushima portrays, you know, this very strict. You 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 obey your masters, like you like you mentioned, Kevin. Like no matter how immoral the master might be, as a samurai, you still have to do what they say. And so, I think Ghost of Tsushima sort of pokes holes in like you know, this this hierarchy doesn't doesn't serve its purpose anymore. And Koten Khan comes along and shows, hey, if if I'm able to just show up and topple this structure, maybe it didn't need to be there in the first place. It's kind of like the nature testing you know your survival instincts and whether you are fit to survive or not and Shimura and the system he represented was not fit to survive this trial but Jin was he was up to the challenge of adapting and meeting the challenge and like we've demonstrated thoroughly now it's you know it cost him but it it had to be done and he had the type of personality the type of temperament to bear the brunt of those sacrifices to do what needed to be done for his people. The people were his priority, not the code.
1: Yeah, and also, too, if you look at the actual history, you know, real-world history of Japan, like, the invasions, the amount of invasions, I think this was, like, the fourth major invasion. It happened a lot, yeah. (laughs) Well, well, so here's the thing, like, Japan... There were invasions attempts within like a couple hundred years, right? So there was one in like I think ten twenty two or ten fifteen or something like that. Like mm-hmm. like the first thousand, you know, uh, BCE or not BCE. Sorry, AD uh, mm-hmm. or AC, whatever, whatever you want to call it now. Um, but then there was one in the twelve hundreds, which was this one. There's one in the fourteen hundreds. So like there there have been a couple. It really like far and few as many like there's not there's not as much as like you know europeans fighting like crazy so the biggest thing too is the majority of the time when it comes to wars and conflicts has been either amongst themselves or Mm. so like like the technology aspect too that's the thing they've never seen some of this technology so they are not prepared and i think that's the biggest thing when you're when you're isolated for some amount of time or you don't, you know, see a specific enemy ever and and now you do and you get your shit rocked, you should adapt. And I think that was the biggest problem here was the unwillingness to adapt yeah. to to survive. And right. I think almost dying and then surviving... <laughs> kind of changes you and you're like okay well i can't do that again i'll fucking die i almost did i'm gonna go i'm gonna do what can i do not so that doesn't happen you know i better learn Um, from
0: this
1: (laughs) exactly you know like a child learning from your mistakes um i think that that's the biggest thing here is he was able to adapt to survive he saw terrible things and was like i'm not gonna let that happen i'm gonna do whatever it takes to not let that happen he saw the appreciation he felt the appreciation. He, you know, really, really did what he could to save people and, I, and and save his uncle. And I think his uncle showed appreciation. But then when his uncle did the same thing and didn't learn from his mistake and he saw yeah. that and he did something differently, I think being in that conversation of like, you don't fucking get it, man. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've done. You don't understand what is we are up against here. This is yep. not like, you know, we're up against another group of samurai. Like, that's not what this is. Yeah. And I think the unwillingness to accept that and to accept, you know, what a young person is saying, basically. <laughs> like, you're not fucking listening. Quit being a boomer. I'm just going to say it. Like, <laughs> quit. Listen, man. You're, not, you're yeah. not getting it. And I think that was a big thing for him with that argument. Um, also, like I said, there are these expectations set upon him. Yeah. All these things he has to follow. And I get that, setting proper expectations. I trust me, I get that, but this guy, you know, the expectation is that we're not going to die. Like this guy gets that, you know? So right. it's it's there's a there's that dynamic of experience, I think. And, and granted, yeah, his uncle might have a lot of experience in different things, but he doesn't have the experience of fighting these guys as much as this dude does. And I think that's a, a big downfall for what they could have ended earlier is, you know, him being locked up. I, I, the code, I definitely want to say the code failed him. I, it really did. But, but I think the code failed him outside because he still follows that code, but he adapted that code. He didn't sit there and say, like, I have to follow this strictly. I can only eat, you know, red food. Like, so, like you know what I mean? It wasn't like a rule like that. It was, he was like, I have to survive. And I think that that's the biggest problem is I don't think the code necessary. I mean, this, the code literally tells you to kill yourself. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> it's not really made for survival. Yeah. It's And in war, I would say war. I don't necessarily think it's really made to be followed in times of war. I think that's yeah. the code itself is its own downfall. Right.
0: I, I think that's a good. I think that's a good point. Like you could also say that Jin didn't strictly drop the code. He didn't completely abandon it. He still guides his. he, he still bases his life on it. Like you know, the code has other tenets, like you know, just being honest and straightforward and you know, being polite to people and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and centering the needs of the people, basically. So it's almost like he didn't abandon the code. He just kind of updated his perspective on it, I guess you could say. He, he, like, he just started to see it differently, and you know, he saw it the way that he needed to see it in order to continue the fight.
1: Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.